Recovery Elevator, episode 88. So I was not drinking, but my mind was still crazy. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for 25 months. Hey, that's pretty cool. On today's podcast, we've got Val. She took her last drink on April 8th, 2016. She's 44 years old and has three kids. Before we get any further today, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. On January 1st, 2010, I quit drinking. I lasted nearly 2.5 years on willpower alone, aka I was a dry drunk. When I did relapse, I was surprised, astounded, that I picked up right where I left off. I've shared this story several times on the podcast already, but here's what happened. I was at a bar. I took three shots of tequila. I didn't want to drink and drive, but sticking around that bar and not drinking anymore, that was painful. So I left, drove home, knowing that there was more alcohol at home. I said, hey, Paul, if we're going to relapse after almost two and a half years of sobriety, let's at least drink a little more. So that's what I did. I drank all the alcohol in the house. I had roommates at the time, and my roommates no longer had alcohol in the house after that moment. But right around 2.30 a.m., I found myself at my computer. To the left, a bottle of rubbing alcohol. To the right, a bottle of hydrogen peroxide. I was Googling which one I could drink without destroying my body. The Google results were clear. Ingesting those liquids would not do my body any favors. I woke up the next day and I said, holy shit, what the hell happened last night? I didn't black out. There wasn't enough alcohol in the house. Well, actually, there was a shitload of alcohol in the house. I drank it all, but it wasn't enough. How was it that after almost two and a half years of sobriety, I picked up right where I left off? It was like I drank the previous night. This baffled me. In fact, it pissed me off. I was looking forward to enjoying alcohol, at least the ramp-up phase. I told myself before I drink, well, you know, we'll drink and maybe we'll enjoy it for a week or two or whatnot, and then we'll have to quit again. But no, my best friend alcohol, well, used to be my best friend alcohol, it betrayed me once again. My addiction, Gary, knew perfectly well what was going to happen. And here's a scientific explanation of what happens when we pick up again after a long time and why we pick up right where we left off. If you drink enough alcohol, which I definitely did over time, so slowly, and this is a problem also because it happens so slowly, our brains will change. My brain had changed due to response to alcohol over time. Now, many damages that alcohol does to the brain are reversible when we quit drinking, but some of them are irreversible. And this damage that I've done to my brain is irreversible, proving that after not drinking for a while, I can pick up right where I left off. The reason why is there still is an environment of dopamine hypersensitivity that still exists in the brain. In the previous episode, episode 87, I I go more into depth in this environment of a dopamine hypersensitivity that exists in the brain. Unfortunately, I've had to prove this theory true many times. 
relapse is part of my story. After almost two and a half years of sobriety, I got about another eight months under my belt. I remember I drank on December 30th. I was in Costa Rica. My plan was only to have one or two drinks. I remember seeing the sun come up on New Year's Eve in Costa Rica. Yeah, that one to two drinks turned into about 30. Fast forward about two years, it was April 10th. I saw Guns N' Roses in Bolivia on my birthday. How awesome is that? I think I had about 10 to 12 days of sobriety under my belt. The plan was to have April 10th, my birthday, and hell, I saw Guns N' Roses on my birthday as my sobriety date. You don't get any better than that. And let me tell you, Axl Rose's voice, even at 14,000 feet in the city of La Paz in Bolivia, it was incredible. One of the best memories I have in sobriety. Unfortunately, right around 12.05 a.m., April 11th, when I went back to the youth hostel, a couple girls that I was traveling with were walking out of the hostel, linked arms with mine, and said, Paul, you're coming out with us. Now, telling cute Scandinavian travelers, no, you're not going to go out with them, that was a tough one. But my plan to not drink was still intact. But I had one drink, and then I found myself walking outside of a Bolivian strip club at 9.30 in the morning saying to myself, what the hell happened? I had like 30 or 40 drinks last night. Where is this ramp-up phase? I want somebody to hold my hair back while I'm throwing up in the toilet after drinking three Malibu and root beers. Oh, sophomore year in high school, that was great. I don't have long hair, but you get the point. There's no ramp-up phase because my brain is hypersensitive to alcohol. But hey, Recovery Elevator, I've got good news. Even though in my brain, there still is an environment that dopamine hypersensitivity still exists. But if I don't drink, it's not activated. Think of it this way. If my brain was full of baking soda, that's totally fine, as long as I don't drink vinegar. Yeah, seriously. Remember that volcano experiment when we were kids? As soon as that vinegar touches that baking soda, all wheels come off, it's game over. And that's what my brain is like right now. That change that I have done in my brain is irreversible. Again, the good news is, and there is good news here, if I don't drink, that vinegar baking soda volatile combination, it doesn't go off. And before we get to our interviewee, here's a little side note. According to the CDC.gov, men release more dopamine than women. Again, dopamine is a chemical link to learning, not pleasure. In fact, men made up of 70% of alcohol-related deaths in the U.S. in 2014 at 88,000 people. Man. Now let's hear from Val. Val, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us this morning. Val, let's get right into it. How long have you been sober? I've been sober for six months. Nice job. Congratulations. What was the date of your last drink? April 8th. April 8th. Boom. Two days before my birthday. That's a great day. And Val, I've got a whole list of questions, but before the interview started, we were chatting about something that happened to you this morning, a divine moment on social media. Go ahead and share with us that. I was getting ready to call you for our interview, Paul, and I was taking a moment to gather my thoughts. And of course, a Facebook post pops up and I can never let those go by. So (laughs) I opened it. And it was from a really good friend of mine, and he had posted a picture of me from two years ago when we were fly fishing on the river. And I i didn't have a wine glass, so I've just got my whole bottle of wine in my drink holder there. And he just posted, wow, how you've grown. And that just, for me, I mean, that was a God moment for me because it, it's its right before I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm trying to you know, gather my thoughts and then that pops up and it's just like, oh yeah, this is why I'm here. What was it like when you first saw that post? It just really brought me back to two years ago and where I was and where I am now and and how 
grateful I am to be where I am now. Yeah, Facebook has this new feature where it's like this day five years ago, and I saw one. It was like this day ten years ago, I think. Um, I was I was bartending at Dolce Vita, the bar owned in Spain, and I had those same sentiments. I looked at it and was like, "Holy crap! Thank God I am not back yeah. at that moment. My face is fat. Like I'm, I just I look miserable. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I was gonna say I had a smile on my face, but I wasn't happy. You know, so. Yeah, I, I, gosh, yeah, wine bottle fly fishing, that sounds exotic and great and like a lot of fun, but really, yeah, if you look into your eyes, you know, like the Man in the Mirror podcast that I did a while ago, when I looked at myself in the mirror, it, it, it wasn't enjoyment, it wasn't fun, I could barely look at that person in the mirror anymore. But Val, I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves, let's get to know a little bit more about you before we get any further. Tell listeners a little about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old you are, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Well, I'm originally from Billings, Montana, although I've lived in Bozeman for 20 years and, and the Big Sky area. I'm 44. I have three kids and a grandson, and I'm married. I love to bake, knit, garden, camp, hike, just be outside. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> nice. Well, it sounds like you're in your right state for all those activities. And let's talk about the podcast title, Recovery Elevator. Was it six months ago that your elevator hit its bottom? Well, I've hit many bottoms over my life. I, I started drinking very young when I was 14. But I finally just reached that point where I knew I had to change or I was going to lose everything. And I didn't want that to happen. And was this your first attempt at quitting drinking? No. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the first couple of attempts. Well, my first attempt, I would say, was when I started, when I decided to have kids in my mid-20s. And, you know, I thought, well, that would be a good way to get sober. And, and it did get me sober for a while, but I was more of a dry drunk, you know, and I, I, I quit drinking maybe for eight years or so. But I was miserable, and everybody around me was probably miserable. And then we moved to Big Sky, and we bought a restaurant. And the stress of that got me to drinking again, and it just snowballed from there. So, Val, so if, I, I've, if I've, I hear this correctly, you were sober for eight years, and then you moved mm -hmm. to the Big Sky area and bought a restaurant. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And was it just the restaurant industry? You know, that industry is not conducive to lifestyle sobriety. Was it the stress of owning a business and especially that industry that, uh, that caused you to drink again? Definitely. I mean, just, just, that's just the way I dealt with stress was to drink. That was the only way I knew how. Now, the first time I heard dry drunk, I didn't fully understand it. And it sounds like to me, you were a dry drunk for eight years. What is a dry drunk in your opinion? So I was, not drinking, but my mind was still crazy. I was still trying to control my, everything around me. I didn't understand when life was fighting against me. I always felt like I was the victim and life was out to get me. And I just wasn't happy and I didn't understand why. Looking back at that time of your life when you say, I was unhappy, but I didn't understand why. What is your explanation at this point to why you are unhappy? I think it was because I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of people. I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. I didn't have a higher power to rely on. I was trying to do everything myself, and the burden just felt so heavy. 
trying to do everything myself. And I imagine with the six months of sobriety that you have now, that something is different. Are you not doing everything yourself now? Right. I'm asking for help now. What is that like? (laughs) That's kind of weird. It's hard, Um, right? It is hard. I don't know. Before, I felt like I was a failure if I had to ask for help. Yeah, why do you think that is? Because I felt the same way. I don't know. I don't know. I I feel like my expectations for myself, I held really high, and I could never reach those expectations. Yep, I think it's episode 82. That was the podcast episode, was lower those expectations. For me, it was at my two-year mark in sobriety. I had like a near meltdown the day before because my expectations were basically unachievable. But also, I made progress in life in 2012 when I lowered the expectations for myself again, and it makes a huge difference with that. But Val, let's go back a little bit more. Talk to me about your drinking habits. How much did you drink? Well, I would drink at least a bottle of wine a night, but I'm kidding myself if that's all I think I drank. I, I'm sure it was more like two bottles a night. And I always thought that because I was just drinking wine, that it was no big deal and I didn't have a problem. But when you see the recycling bin just filled with glass wine bottles after five days, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was pretty obvious I had a problem. And did you ever try to put limits on that drinking? You're like, okay, unless a wine rep comes to my restaurant and leaves bottles of wine, I'm not going to drink. Absolutely. Uh, I tried everything. I tried just on the weekends or, you know, just just in the evening. Now, when I, when I started drinking during the day, it was, it was all, also an oh shit moment. And when did that start to happen? Oh, probably... 10 years ago. Now you probably justified it too. You're right. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm making this new step forward in my, my drinking patterns, but it's because the restaurant industry is so stressful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And And then when we lost the restaurant, I still used any excuse about how stressful work was and, you know, just, I needed it to relax and I needed it to deal with the stress. And so talk to me about that period of your life after the restaurant. Was that mid-30s to where, to eight, you know, what, what did you do after that period? That was about five years ago, and I had a really hard time after that. I felt like a, a failure, of course, and I felt like it was everybody else's fault but my own, and it was almost like a death. Like, I was, I was grieving, and so my drinking really got bad and and I probably drank that way for about three years and then I discovered your podcast and I will swear by your podcast as being what saved me because I was just flipping through the iTunes store looking for some any kind of help and when I found your podcast and then I found out you were from Bozeman I just I couldn't believe it (laughs) and so so I probably I listen to that every day for a while. Val, all I do is battle into a microphone and upload it to iTunes. You need to give yourself a hell of a lot more credit. Uh, anybody can do what I do. You did the heavy lifting. And I'm curious to know more about the heavy lifting. So you heard a couple podcasts of me just jib-jabbing, going on and on and on. You know, I don't even know if anybody's listening. So <laughs> how, how did you do it? And congrats to you. I mean, you made a decision. and that, That's amazing. How did you do it? Walk us through the first day, the first week, things like that. 
Well, the first day was a morning when I woke up and I was so sick. I couldn't even go to work that day. And it was a it was at a fairly new job, so I was just disgusted with myself. I was as sick as I've ever been, I think, that morning. Was um, that April 9th? And it was, no, that was actually in February. Okay. And it was just a regular day. It was a Tuesday night, the night before. I was just sitting at home watching Netflix, and I was watching Amy on Netflix about Amy Winehouse. Oh, okay. And I had passed out before the end of that movie, and so I'm laying in bed, just sick as a dog, and my computer was right there, and I was thinking, well, I don't even know how the movie ended. So I, I looked up to see what happened in the end, because I knew she died somehow, but I didn't, I didn't, I knew how she died, but I, but I thought it was from heroin or, or something else, but I looked it up on Wikipedia, and she had died from alcohol poisoning. Mm-hmm. And that was just a huge wake-up moment for me, because... My son's birthday was coming up that weekend, and I just thought to myself, how ridiculous that, you know, my son could lose his mom for this stupid reason, and I just decided right then that that was it. I had to do something. That sounds like a fitting, you might be an alcoholic if line, if you pass out before the ending of the Amy Winehouse documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. There you go. <laughs> All right. So what happened after that? It's February. You wake up. You're like, look, my son's birthday's coming up. You know, I, I got to get my life back on track. I go, what happened? What'd you do? Right. Right. So I white knuckled it for about 30 days before I started drinking again. So the next day I got onto one of their webinars and I met you for the first time. And you had asked me if I'd ever been to an AA meeting. And I said that I was scared to go. And so you hooked me up with Kelly and Kelly took me to my first meeting. Yeah, I think I was there, right? I remember... Were you you were, we... were there, and yes, that was awesome. You sat right behind me. This is so, so I felt... cool, Val. Um, I mean, it... you basically just did what people recommended, and a lot of times, that is the hardest part, just simply taking the action. But I, you know, listeners right now, like, Val, you are, in my opinion, like, such a success story. I'm, I'm so glad when I saw your name scheduled uh, for the interview, I woke up, it's like, awesome. I can't wait to t- chat with Val. For some reason, it's just like you, you're, you're just like this warrior out there. And I, I look at you with a tremendous lens of respect. You've, you're, you're, you know, you've got three kids and, and you're doing it for yourself, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not articulating it very well, but I see you and I'm just like, man, that's inspiration. So I, I got to say congratulations to you and you're still doing it, right? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to work my program every day. And tell me about that program. So I read in the book book every day if I can, usually before I go to bed. I know a lot of people try to start their day with with a reading. I'm just not that organized. I've got a kid to get ready for school in the morning, and I usually just read at night. I go to my home group meeting every week. I have a service position. I meet with my sponsor every week. And I'm on a committee for AA as well. So I do some service work there. And Val, one thing I've noticed about you, I've seen you in person probably four to five times in the span of six to eight months. And the word that comes to mind is confidence. I saw you a couple weeks ago or maybe a week ago, and you just had this glow about you. Your smile was confident. And uh, it was impressive. It was fun to see. Now, do you feel more confident with six months of sobriety? Wow. I I would never describe myself that way. 
That's awesome. Well, I'm I'm just talking um, like a before and after pick, right? When I first met you, yeah, I, you know, we're all we're all shaky on our foundations, but when I saw you a week ago, you you were like, "Hey, Paul, you surprised me." I was like, "Is this is this holy crap? This is Val." <laughs> it's definitely getting better. Yes, it is definitely getting better, but I I'm still I know I have a lot of work to do. And what is that work you have to do? I just need to keep working on my program. I'm working on the fourth step right now, which is doing a, a moral inventory of myself and writing down all my resentment. That's been really important for me. I've found that writing things out is so helpful. It's just, you know, your mind is so foggy for so long that memories are kind of tricky. But writing it out really clarifies that for me and, and reminds me of where I've been and where I want to go. Do you mind sharing with us a resentment? You can change the names and locations for sensitivity purposes, but what would, what would a typical resentment look like on a fourth step? So, well, a big one for me would be how I lost a restaurant. You know, I was always blaming it on the landlord or the business that occupies it now. So that was probably my first resentment. And I just had to look at that resentment where, where the anger was coming from and write out what part I had in that and what I was afraid of and what anything I was dishonest about and and go from there. And that just kind of lifted that anger. And it's kind of a lot a lot like how they say you need to forgive for yourself in order to let that anger out. That's what I've been focusing on is just letting all those resentments go. How does that feel when you let those resentments go? It feels awesome. I'm a much less angry person today. <laughs> I'm, I look at the world in a different way. I, I don't hate people like I used to. I'm starting to like people now. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, and let's chat about the dry drunk thing for a second. You said you went 30 days when you first started, I think in February, you know, off sheer willpower and dry drunk is basically tapping into your willpower. Well, and studies show that willpower is finite and it definitely is exhaustible, which means that willpower will only last so long. And talk to me mm -hmm. about after eight years of willpower, how that's just exhausting. And in, in my opinion, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And so what is it like this time around where you're not dipping into the willpower well? And because one day if, if you're doing that, you're going to dip in and be like, wait, there's no water in this well. I, I'm drinking. Mm -hmm. And that happened to mm -hmm. me after two and a half years of sobriety. What is it like this time around? Well, this time around, I just have so many more resources to dip into. If I'm feeling like I need to take a drink, which it does still happen, I have, I can go to a meeting and it instantly takes that away. I can call my sponsor and it instantly goes away. It's just, for me, it's more it's like a diversion. It's, it's just focusing my attention somewhere else and not on myself, whether it's helping somebody else or, or just you know, blanking out. But usually it's helping somebody else. Yeah, no, no worries. And talk to me about the relationships in your life. How have the relationships with your three kids changed, with your husband, with others around you? Well, I think it's changing from a guilt relationship, which is how I always had the mommy guilt thing. 
really bad. And I'm not sure my kids were really affected by it as much as I think they were. They say they, they haven't been anyways, and maybe they're just being kind. But it's opened our relationship up. We're very honest with each other. Now I can talk to my kids about drugs and alcohol and be honest about it and not feel like a hypocrite. With my husband, he still drinks, but he doesn't, he doesn't lose control like I did. He definitely sees a, a positive change in me and would, you know, he, at first he would sometimes joke with me and say, I think I liked you better drunk because I was pretty angry in my first week or two of sobriety, but he would never say that now. He's definitely seen a huge difference now. And what have you learned about yourself in sobriety, Val? Oh, what have I learned about myself? I've learned that I've been very dishonest with myself my whole life, and I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to just be who I am and not have a facade up for the rest of the world to see. You know, I always felt like I was one person in public and another person at home, and I always thought that nobody would want to know the, the real me, and then finding out that, that that was just my disease talking to me. Listeners, that was a huge value bomb right there. I have been dishonest with myself for a long time. And it wasn't until I got honest with myself that I started to create some accountability. That's when I got sober. It's, it's amazing. You know, talk to me about how honesty has been important to your sobriety. I guess it's just allowed me to be who I really am. And that's a perfect answer. And it's, it lifts this huge weight off our shoulders. And I got one question before we get to the rapid fire round, Val. What are your thoughts on relapse? Well, my thoughts on relapse are I'm only a drink away from a relapse. It can happen so easily. And I have to just be sure to always call my sponsor if I have that urge to drink. And, and that's, that's what's changed a lot is, is I'm not hiding anymore and I'm not alone at home avoiding people anymore. I'm, I'm interacting and asking for help when I need it. And it sounds like there's more of a line of defense than just sheer willpower, which is the same thing with me, that I had to develop a line of defense that involved more than just me saying, no, I'm not doing this. I had several tools in my recovery portfolio. And Val, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes. All right, Val. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? My worst memory is not having a memory, just blacking out and not remembering what I did. I love that response because it's terrifying. And next question, we've all heard of the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating you really can't control your drinking and you got to give me another one besides the time when you started drinking midday? And it would probably be that morning I woke up so sick that I couldn't go to work. Right and after I starting out your new job. Amy, yeah. And next question, Val, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? My plan is to continue working my program. I'm going to, I'm always also looking to make the, relationship with my higher power stronger. That's been probably one of the hardest parts of this program for me is, is accepting that I have a higher power. And I, I pray every day to that higher power. And I just want to keep continuing that. And I also think that I need to start because it's so important to me what other people think of me. I think instead of worrying about what other people think of me, I need to worry more about what I think of myself and and focus on making that better. 
I agree with that 100%. Your next question, in regards to sobriety, Val, what's the best advice you've ever received? I think the best advice I ever received was recently I was at a, an AA roundup and an old timer came and sat beside me and we were discussing sobriety and he he asked me how long I'd been sober and I said six months and well it was five months then and and he said that you know it can't you can't fix it how long did you drink and I said 30 years and he said did you think you could fix it right away do you think how long do you think it's going to take to fix and that that was a real wake-up moment for me but yeah this can't be fixed overnight it's going to take a while there's no quick fix. And Val, what parting piece of guidance do you have for listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking or are in early sobriety? Just do it. Just get yourself to a meeting and you'll be amazed what doors open up for you. Just do it. Don't wait another day. Start taking action. And Val, before we depart, give listeners your own personalized You Might Be an Alcoholic gift line. Okay, you might be an alcoholic if you pass out before the Amy Winehouse movie is over. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you get that one from? I'm just kidding. For you, it's, Paul. <laughs> it's a good one, though. I like it. Val, thank you so much for starting your day with me. It's the best way that I can start my day. Um, much appreciated. Thank you, Paul. Here's a life hack for you. Play the long game. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. Would you take a million dollars up front? Or would you take a penny today, two pennies tomorrow, four pennies the third day, and it doubles each day for 30 days? Would you take a million dollars up front or a penny that doubles each day for 30 days? What would you take? The majority of people say, yeah, I'll take a million dollars up front. That's guaranteed. But with my sobriety, it's a blind leap of faith. I'm playing the long game here. The decision I made on September 7th, 2014 to quit drinking is still paying dividends. Now, most people, they'll take that million dollars up front. But if you take that penny a day, that compounds, doubles itself each day, you're going to end up with $10.7 million by the end of 30 days. Now, I can't guarantee anything for you in sobriety. And if you're a dry drunk, I'm going to highly encourage you to take that million dollars day one. Hell, I should have taken a million dollars on day one. This time around in sobriety, where I'm over two years at this moment, I'm taking a penny a day that doubles. My sobriety, it continues to return its investment. The first time I heard about this penny question was in a great book called The Compound Effect by Greg Hardy. It's all about the small, minute decisions that we make day to day. They don't necessarily pay off dividends right at that moment, but they will pay off big time down the road. So if you are thinking about quitting drinking, play the long game. It's a blind leap of faith. It's not going to be easy. You're probably not going to end up with $10.7 million or anywhere close. But your life, it's probably going to be a heck of a lot better. I can only speak from my experience. If you're a dry drunk, take that million dollars up front right now. But if you want emotional sobriety, long-term sobriety, go ahead and block off, I don't know, a good 100 hours and listen to the previous 87 podcast episodes. There's a pretty good framework of how to do just that. My life right now, with 25 months of sobriety, so much better than it was over two years ago. Again, I want for myself what I want for you guys. In sobriety, I see things differently. Things smell different. Colors are brighter. Sunsets and sunrises, man, those are incredible. Songs that were dead to me before, they now sound fantastic. Gangnam Style, you're still dead to me. So I highly encourage you, 
Take that blind leap of faith. Let's play this long game. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We gotta take the stairs back up. We can do this.